Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast. Melina and I are so excited that you're here. If you're already a subscriber to the show, you are awesome. Honestly, your support means more than you know. And if you just stumbled upon our little corner of the interweb over here, hello. Make sure you hit that subscriber follow button. We release new book deep dives every Tuesday. Okay, time to get lost in a world of magic, romance, and adventure. Let's go. Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls Podcast, the show where two cousins do a deep dive into your favorite fantasy romance novels. We're talking chapter summaries, characters, lore, theories, and more. But before we dive into today's episode, please listen closely to our content warnings. Most importantly, this episode will contain spoilers for House of Flame and Shadow and all of Sarah J. Maas's other works, including Throne of Glass and Agatar. We may be focusing on chapters 15 to 19 of House and Flame and Shadow today, but we're bringing the whole Mossverse into the conversation, especially when we talk about our theories and predictions. Yeah, so anything SJM has ever said, it's all on the table. So if you don't know why we're still laughing every time we hear about fangs and bangs, go finish (laughs) the first two books in the Crescent City series and come back to us. We will be here when you're done. Amazing. Yes. And next, this podcast is rated R. We at Romanticy Fangirls are adults who say adult things and talk about adult themes about adult books. So if you're not into that, totally cool. Better find another podcast. Correct. And if any of our family is listening, which we're hoping not, but we're also maybe assuming you are, uh, we're sorry, but we're not sorry. You have been warned. And our final disclaimer here, which is our favorite, We will not be held responsible for any of the pronunciation, correct or incorrect, of your favorite characters, town names, etc. We're not professionals. We are just fangirls. PSA for the day. Thank you. And lastly, before we jump into House of Flame and Shadow Episode 5... If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, community, discounts on merch, early access to episodes, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn, and the link is in the show notes as well as in our YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you so much for allowing us to bring these episodes to you. And now it's time to dive in. We are starting off our episode, as we always do, with our anchor, which is our chapter summaries. And here's what happened in chapters 15 through 19. So buckle up. Yeah. In chapter 15, the awkward silence, remember we're, oh, we're in the tunnels, Melina. Okay. tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) The awkward silence eventually gets so bad that Bryce apologizes to Az and Nesta because, uh, remember, she basically baited the Midgard worm onto them. And they defeated it through the help of the mask with Nesta and Ataraxia. So she's saying, why don't you just go on without me? You know, why is this so important to you? And Nesta quietly replies that she has seen this eight-pointed star before that is on Bryce's chest. Melina, I think you went back and looked this up again in Silver Flames, right? Yeah. So Nesta was saying she'd seen the star before, like besides her tattoo, which I did not remember at all. Towards the end of Silver Flames, Cassian and Nesta are in the prison. 
Um, and they're going down, down, down deep into the prison after Nesta's vision. And they find the alcove that Nesta saw in her vision beside the iron door with the single rune on its surface. Um, the iron door that leads to Lanthus' cell. So Nesta puts her hand up to the rock in the alcove and they walk through the rock down a hallway into a chamber that has the harp in it. Um, and the harp is situated on top of, quote, a large rendering of an eight-pointed star. So when Nesta says, uh, like, Bryce asks her where she's seen this before and Nesta says, no place good, that's what she's referring to. Yeah, that is definitely no place good. Correct. Yeah, so the annoyed silence continues until the trio comes to a chasm where Bryce's starlight is still acting as a GPS and it points them straight across it, which, of course, why not? Right. So then we jump back to Midgard. We're in the Crystal Palace dungeon again where Rune has decided to grow the fuck up his words, not ours. So he finds himself on that familiar mental bridge staring at a burning female figure who we know is Lydia, Agent Daybright. Lydia asks what happened and he just flatly replies to her that he needs to pass along quote-unquote intel. So he says that Bryce was trying to get to hell for help and she didn't make it there and Lydia obviously replies and asks how could he possibly know that? And Rune just straight up tells her that the Prince of the Pit visited Hunt and told him. Lydia doesn't bat an eye, even when Rune confirms that there was and still is a possibility that Hell would have allied with them. And she tries to ask about Bryce, but then Rune just says he doesn't know. And Lydia confidently tells him that she is sure that Bryce is still alive because Regulus has his mystics looking for Bryce. And that means that he thinks that Bryce's location might make some difference and that it really has him worried. So she then tells Rune not to underestimate Bryce and that does it for Rune. He goes to leave the mental bridge and Lydia says to him that she's doing what she can to help him, but he says he doesn't give a fuck and basically you're dead to me before vanishing. Twist the knife in my heart, Sarah, please. Correct. This one hurt. Woo. So then chapter 16, we're back in Prithian, where Bryce, Az, and Nesta are just staring at this chasm in the tunnel, trying to figure out how the hell they're going to get across it. Bryce asks Az if he has ever used his powers to, quote-unquote, charge people up, which I thought was hilarious because Nesta and Az obviously do not know what the concept of a battery is, (laughs) but they don't really have another option, so he hits her with his power before she can reconsider and it really works. So it charges her up so much that she glows and winnows them away across this chasm. No problem. Easy peasy. Later, Nesta points to a carving of the cauldron on the wall and she and Az explain to Bryce who then brings up the mask again and Nesta explains that the mask is part of this thing called the Dread Trove and was capital M, made by the cauldron. And since Nesta was made by the cauldron, she can wield these objects within the Dread Trove. Then Bryce recalls that Nesta had said previously that her tattoo was also made. And so by definition, it would need to have had the ink, 
made by the cauldron in this world, the ancient Fey world, but Bryce knows that the horn, maybe it was also forged by the cauldron, but she doesn't say that to any of the other two at this point. And then they have an absolutely fascinating discussion about the gods in Bryce's world versus the cauldron and the mother in Prithian and about where souls go. I did. I just want to jump in here. I know we have a lot to cover in our summary today. That discussion was so fascinating to me. Like just Bryce's offhand comment about, you know, she's in another world now. So are her gods even able to help her or are they with her or, and then of course, like the casual, where do your souls go in your world? Because she knows yeah. half of them in hers. <laughs> I'm sure Bryce, I mean, Nesta and Az are probably like, what in the world is this girl talking about? Oh my word, that conversation know. was wild to me. <laughs> I loved that. Uh, and the battery thing, I was yes. giggling at that. <laughs> but we're back in Midgard then. We're in Therian Suite in the meat market in the shared bathroom with Ariadne. And he basically warns slash threatens her not to kill Ethan because we think that really the only person that Ethan could possibly fight in this Viper Queen's bargain. Therian is telling her, do not kill Ethan. And she responds so that she doesn't want to be part of their cabal. And Therian points out that she is always just looking out for number one. And is this a life that she really wants? Which, I mean, she's a dragon shifter. Like, I don't, like, is there really anybody else but number one in that case? <laughs> and like, she was trapped in a ring for heaven knows how long. I don't know if True. you overly fault her for looking out for herself when clearly nobody else has helped her out, really, other than Ethan at this point. So, yeah. Yeah, touche. So, Nesta and Bryce, then, we're back with them. They have a... <laughs> most engaging and hilarious conversation about Bryce's phone because again they don't in the ancient fey world know anything about technology and so Nesta has held on to Bryce's phone but finally returns it to her when they have to stop because they've come to this massive I think it says 30 foot high and 30 foot wide metal not iron we just want to point that out <laughs> metal <laughs> yeah metal wall with a gigantic you guessed it eight pointed star in the center and then etched around it is an archway so bryce puts her hand on the lowest spike of the star and nothing happens for long enough that Nesta then voices her disbelief that that would actually work when all of a sudden the metal groans and quote the spikes of the star begin to expand and contract as if it were breathing metal clicked behind it like gears shifting locks opening and in the lowest spike of the star a triangle of a door slid open we'll talk about this later <laughs> but Oh my word. Oh my yes. word. Okay, it's fine. I'm settling. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Calm yourself, Iago. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible Disney reference. I would be more calm with a cracker. Touche. Yes. Touche, as they say. Touche. So then we move into chapter 17, which. We're back with Nesta as and, and Bryce, and the darkness on the other side of the door that she has just opened is described as dry, ancient, 
older, heavier, and more watchful. And so, of course, as soon as all three have stepped inside, the door immediately slams shut behind them. And at the end of this short passageway is this vast circular chamber. I think they later describe it as arena-sized with similar carvings to the tunnel, but now they're on the floor. And then Nesta whispers that this is the place she last saw that eight-pointed star, which Melina hinted to at the top of the anchor, which is the prison. They're in the prison. So the tunnels have led us to the prison. But we don't get to find out what happens yet because we jump back to Midgard where Ethan is mentally prepping himself like this is a sunball game and is confused why there's no sign of Ariadne as his opponent in this fight yet. Flynn, Deck, and Therian are giving him pointers on how to survive, but then Therian actually makes a genuine comment for a single moment in this period of his life where he does thank Ethan for doing this for him. And Ethan says, we're a pack. It's what we do for each other. And I just found that to be so sweet. Oh, cute. Then that moment is quickly vanished because the Viper Queen enters and drops the first bomb that Ariadne has left and insinuates it's because Therian made her feel bad about having to quote unquote toast Ethan And then she drops the second bomb, which is who Ethan will actually be fighting. The Fendier Air, of course. And I just, like, audibly gasped at this point reading. Great. Like, that's really what we needed. Also, and how did no one see this coming? Thank you. So, switching back to Prithian, as and Nesta are understandably having a bit of a squabble about leaving, whether they should get Reese, how the door must have been a portal because there was no way that they could have walked under the ocean this far. Because remember, they thought they were in the tunnel, but now they're in the prison. So, but as ends up taking Bryce's hand and pulling her towards the chamber, they near the entrance, and not only is Bryce's star completely out but the sword and the dagger are also quiet the whole room has a quote-unquote keep the fuck out vibe i love which, what a bryce what a bryce thing to think yeah <laughs> pretty self-explanatory mm-hmm. bryce senses the wards in this chamber and tells Az that she's going in but that he should stay back and nesta points to the eight-pointed star on the floor and tells bryce that was where the harp was sitting which had been held there by the wards when her and Cassian were in the prison in Silver Flames. So then as glares at Nesta for revealing that information, and for those keeping track, this is now two of the three Dread Trove items that Bryce now knows about. Right. So Bryce still has on the Arcasian amulet that has protected her from the wards before, but she's determined to find some answers. So she tricks Az into thinking that something is coming up behind him. And before he realizes that he has been duped, she races past the ward line, which I was again, cackling at this. I was like, that really just worked. Are you serious? Oh my God. killed me. (laughs) It was so childish, and yet I'm like, yes. it totally worked. And it feels so, oh my word, and I know we'll talk about this later. It felt very, oh, please, everyone forgive me for saying this. This felt like a boomer moment. Yes. Bryce being the, like, you know, in the future, like, young <laughs> teenager. And then as is like, 
this old centuries hardened warrior and she literally dupes him with the what's behind you like a boomer moment and that killed me (laughs) as is obviously pissed uh, but nesta seeing her fellow queen shall we say is smirking her approval but as can now not get through the wards and nesta is waiting to see what happens before she tries to get through them so Bryce starts looking at these carvings on the floor, and she's shocked to find that the constellations are actually ones that she recognizes from Midgard. And she's thinking, like, how how is this possible? Like, they're two totally different worlds. But the eight-pointed star is situated directly between Lakos and Thur, which Bryce recognizes as Midgard carvings. And then she asks Nesta if there's anything special about the harp as to why it was placed here in the prison on that star. And Nessa replies that, yes, it can move its player between physical places. And before Az can stop her, she adds that it can also stop time itself, which is not a good thing to say to Bryce. <laughs> that felt like a little bit of an overshare, but okay. Yeah. So Bryce knows of only one group in her world who would be able to create things like that. She asked Nesta if there was ever a made object called the horn, and Nesta says that she doesn't know. But Bryce says that someone put the harp in here or for a reason, and she believes it was left for someone like her. So she says that all the carvings in the tunnel were telling a story, and they're an invitation to come here to this place to find some truth And just as she finishes speaking, she steps out onto the star. End of chapter. She always just kind of does these (laughs) things without telling anyone, things without thinking, and then just begs forgiveness for it later. Right. And then we're at the end of the chapter, so now I have to wait and see what happens. Yes. And we do want to mention in chapter 18, trigger warnings for violence. So just keep that in mind. So this chapter opens back up in the dungeons of the Crystal Palace on our three males, Hunt, Baxian, and Rune, and they continue to be in really, really bad shape. But they do have a plan, so Rune is trying to swing himself to the rack of weapons that is just out of reach of his feet. Hunt is trying to kick him as Rune is swinging past him, but that doesn't quite work either out of the the silence and once they realize this isn't working rune asks hunt how strong his bite is and very eerily and calmly explains that he would have more range if hunt bit off his hand hunt absolutely refuses but rune keeps pushing him saying that they need him in this moment to be the umber mortis to be the badass hunt just continues is like absolutely not but baxian starts seeing hunt starting to fold, starting to break down, and sees that this is going to add one more burden to Hunt's crushing guilt that he's feeling right now and says that he will do it. He will shoulder this burden and then Hunt can get the next one. Where to Hunt responds that, Baxian, you were a worthy mate to Danica, which broke my heart. Oh my golly. Everything's fine. Yes. So higher up in the Crystal Palace, uh, on another floor, Lydia is just trying to have one damn minute of privacy to change her tampon and try to reckon with the fact that she is trying to trust other people to help in this rescue mission, which is something that she very much is not used to doing. When Pollux struts into the bathroom, 
with Rune's blood all over him and announces with a sort of manic excitement, Regulus and the others were able to fix the harpy. I was like, what? (laughs) I did not see that coming either. So poor Lydia. No. Honest. I mean, I know Rune and Hunt and Baxian are not in a good place, but like this, this woman cannot get a single damn moment of peace. Which is 100% relatable as a woman. That's very relatable. Yep, agreed. (laughs) So then we jump back to Prithian, where, remember, Bryce is now standing on top of the eight-pointed star in the center of the prison chamber, and at first nothing happens. But then suddenly, light from Bryce's chest flares and merges with the light that flares from the star under her feet, and a hologram appears. And who is it, Melina? Celine. Yeah, so if you remember, Celine is Helena's sister, who is Thea's daughter. Nessa remembers Bryce translating Celine's name from the inscription beneath one of the very first carvings they saw in the tunnels of this high fey female noble, but Bryce doesn't yet know who she is. But then the hologram, Celine, begins speaking and says that her story begins before she was born but she knows of it through her mother's stories and her father's memories and that both of them showed her this story mind to mind. So then we begin the info dump about the memories of Celine, where she starts by saying the high phase were slaves to the Daglin Asteri mm-hmm. for 5,000 years, but then the humans became slaves to the high Fey. She goes on to say then that the Haifei were, quote-unquote, forced to make the tithe to them once a year to offer up kernels of our power in tribute to both limit the phase powers and also fuel the Daglins. This memory then shows a Fae tithing her power, and as the memory zooms out, the image of the Daglin appears, and Bryce knows instantly that it's an Asteri. So now she confirms what Nesta had said previously in the tunnels, like, oh, we call them the Diagla. Or I think it was Amarin. Is that Amarin? Yeah, Amarin was talking to Rise about it in the Yes, set. that's right. Then the scene shifts and shows a golden-haired high fey female standing just behind the Asteri's throne. And Silene says, my mother served at that monster's side for a century, a slave to her in every, to her every sick whim. And Bryce knows before Selene even says that that female she's talking about is Thea. Yeah. So I was going to say, I jumped in here because I didn't remember. I think we had been talking about this earlier. There's so many characters to try to keep track of. And you had mentioned this. Thea, of course, is Queen Thea of the Starborn Fae. And she had brought two daughters with her into Midgard um, who had been forced to wed Peleus And then the quote is another daughter whose name had been lost to history. So now we know the other daughter's name. So this is kind of a big, I think it's a big reveal for both sides, both Bryce from Midgard and then Nesta and Az, obviously, too, from Prithian. Then we jump into chapter 19, where we're once again back in Lydia's bathroom in the Crystal Palace. Lydia's trying to keep her calm after Pollux's announcement that the harpy is somehow come back to 
quote-unquote life. We're not really sure what that looks like. Uh, but Regulus only needs one more thing, and then she should be able to completely wake up soon. We don't know what that means either. But Pollux doesn't suspect a thing. He's just focused on one thing, which is what he wants in the bedroom, regardless of how Lydia is feeling. And yeah, so we can fade to black on that one. Speaking, though, of earth-shattering announcements, back in the fighting pits of the Viper Queen, remember Ethan has just been told that he is going to fight Sigrid in this battle for Therians and their freedom. They're all in shock at this announcement, and they you know, were about to go on their little rescue mission, which clearly the Viper Queen knows all about because she plants this fight strategically in their way uh, but sacred actually agrees to the fight so it looks like we're we're gonna do it it's gonna happen back in the cavern then in prithian selene is continuing her memory sharing and reveals that her mother queen thea used her time as a slave to the daglin slash asteri to learn all that she could about them and their quote-unquote instruments of conquest which were the mask the harp the crown and the horn. So that answers that question, right? Yep. Okay. So now everybody, all the cards are on the table about that. Yes. So we know then that is the dread trove. And the next scene in the memory shows Thea taking the trove and using these cave archways to move swiftly across the lands and ends up atop a mountain, which as then identifies for us as Ramil where she embraces a handsome male, naturally, who, again, as helps us identify as, I say, Fion? That's how I say it. Okay. And then you went back to Silver Flames again to help us remember who the heck this guy guy is. The amount of, like, going back and forth, I had to check for all these people. We know from Silver Flames that Fion was gifted the sword Gwydion by a high priestess, and then overthrew the Daglin with that sword and the sword. And then in the thousand years that followed, there was peace, but then it was lost. Fion establishes himself as High King. And then it, it says the first and only they've ever had. So that was a good memory point for me of Fion was was the High King of the only, first and only High King of Prithian. And then the story goes on to say that he was betrayed by his queen, so we know that's Thea, and his general, which would be Peleus, and they took, quote, some of his bloodline's most powerful and precious weapons, quote, great, and then out of the chaos of that happening, the seven high lords rose and then the courts were established. We did get all of that in Silver Flames, which is an immense amount of information that I quite frankly, could not have recalled. Uh, no, I would not even have tried. <laughs> I would bring that back. <laughs> yes, thank you. So Nesta at this point, since he clearly is filling them in on this information, she decides that Az might as well join them in the ward and you know, fairly nonchalantly uses her powers to lift the wards as he then scoots in before she lets them slam back down. So they're now all three within the wards. And Bryce being from Midgard, though, she doesn't know anything about Fion. And so as reiterates to her, as Melina said from Silver Flames, that 
He was the first and the last high fae king. So Selene then continues through and says that even though Thea and Fionn now have the trove, that they knew they would still need the most valuable weapon, which you guessed it, is shown at the base of the mountain known as Ramil. And that is the cauldron. Great. Yeah. I always love when that makes an appearance. (laughs) Like that doesn't seem like an issue at all. Perfect. Yeah. So Celine's narrative continues and she shares that the Daglin used their power to warp the cauldron and turn it from a tool of creation to a tool of destruction. And the memory then shows Fion pulling the star sword from the cauldron itself. Yeah, and which I also noted too, and I put this in here because I wasn't sure if it was going to be important later. Bryce specifically notices the memory shows two other figures when Fion is pulling the star sword from the cauldron, um, but they were veiled in the snow in the memory. So we don't know who they are, but I did want to, this might be an iron slash metal door moment. (laughs) I wanted to put it in here anyway. Better to include than not to include. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So then Celine goes on and says, quote, they fought the Daglin and won using the Daglin's own weapons, unquote, to which Bryce interrupts and says, how, but Celine, oh, she's this hologram. So she's just continuing on with this history lesson. She says that her father became high king, but her mother claimed this very island that they're on where she was once a slave as her own. And the Daglin she served chose it for the mists that kept it shielded from the others. But Thea also told Selene many times that she and her heirs were, quote, the only ones worthy of tending this island, unquote. The memory continues, since the Daglin were no longer around and the tithe was no longer demanded, the land strengthened and the fae that lived on this island were returned to what they used to be, which is creatures whose magic was tied to the land. So this land then, this island's powers, became Thea's, which they mention is dusk, which I was just, I was like screaming at this point, because how long have we wondered is there a dust court? Where is it? What is it? Right. Right. Yeah. And we'll get into this later. But yeah, I thought that reveal was wild. And it's just in the middle of Celine's forever long history lesson, which was also yes. a crazy to me, but a very, very Sarah move to throw yes. that in. So as the island was cared for, other islands then rose up around it, and Thea became pregnant twice within a span of five years. And Fion, though he was fading by then, he wanted the crown to go to Helena, the eldest child, um, not Thea, his wife, because he wanted a new generation to lead. Uh, But Thea obviously was not happy about that. And neither was her general, um, Peleus. And so the memory shows a new scene of Fion riding his horse into this slice of land that the Daglin kept monsters in as kind of their private, like, game park. And it was there that a dark-haired, pale creature that reminds Bryce of the Nyok drags a bound and gagged Fion into the bog. Thea and uh, Peleus are just standing there impassively staring at this bog when the land appears to have died along with its king. This this was wild. I did not see this. <laughs> Again, Sarah's just like, this male has ruled for a thousand years. 
he's high king. And they yeah. go hunting in what we're obviously presuming is the middle, which we do know because of the bog and throwback to silver flames with, I mean, that's obviously, it sounds like the same Kelpie that Nesta yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself, but oh my <laughs> word, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, Thea and Pe- uh, Peleus basically like, you they know. the reigning king. Yeah, they threw Throw a coup and depose of the sitting king. Crazy. So then the star sword and truth teller are thrust from the water in this bog by a scaled hand. And Celine says that her father had never once offered the sword to her mother and that the dagger had once belonged to his dear friend who had been slain during the first wars. So then Thea extends her hands and both weapons are summoned to her and starlight flares from her. The blades also glowing as they land in her hands, quote, as she had helped make them, they answered to the call in her blood to her very power. So Thea now has the star sword and the truth teller. So cool. Okay. Yes. Everything's fine. (laughs) So Thea then takes the trove for herself and sets herself up on the throne, which Bryce is now indignant because Adis was speaking so highly of this what we see as a murdering tyrant Adis was in love with Thea and and Bryce is like how can you possibly like do that but the story continues and we see Thea teaching her daughters that though the Daglin had been vanquished evil did live on and lurked beneath their very feet always waiting even as they grew older neither sister really craved or wanted the throne which was fine with Thea for a time. Like she wanted the thrones for both of her daughters, but she was fine ruling. Peleus then finds this old notated star map. And so we remember those star maps were in the Crystal Palace that Bryce had found at the end of House of Sky and Breath and selected a world for them to open a door to. But they didn't know that Peleus had been looking for the Diaglin again because he really wanted a powerful ally to help take the trove for himself. And with the help of a Diaglin who had been using an army of mystics to scour the universe for this world, he convinced Thea to then open a doorway to that world. Guess Thea didn't really question him on why or why <laughs> this island was the best place to open a doorway. I don't know. That. That whole, and we'll get into that later. That entire thing just annoys me, but that's okay. We'll talk about that later. So then the memory appears to show the doorway opening in the exact chamber where Bryce, Az, and Nesta are now standing. And who else is standing there but Regulus, who spun lies about them being Fae, as well as also overthrowing the Daglin, and the exodus of the Fae into Midgard began. Apparently... Thea wasn't as trusting as she seems, and she told her daughters that she hid the horn and the harp in a pocket of nothingness, and so the Daglin played the long game, waiting for Thea's trust to find it. But they were not the only group to find Midgard, what we now know as Midgard, and Midgard was already populated by humans, so then the memory shows a city that Bryce knows from her work in Antiquities is the great city, the great human city of Parthos. 
Uh, but Celine recounts that her mother had dealt with human uprisings before, and they moved city to city, taking the land and so making these human slaves of whoever was left after the slaughter. Bryce is understandably now reeling because Adis had to have known this, but again, he loved Thea, never talked to Bryce about this, and somehow this makes the fact that she has this star from Thea in her chest worse because it's almost like it's the light of a butcher and proof that she comes from this morally corrupt bloodline. And that is the end of chapter 19. What a light, uh, not very <laughs> informational chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So we were, as we were reading this, we were like, that's a lot of info. We're going to try to summarize this the best we can. So that was our attempt at it. Yes. It's, it was a doozy. It was hard to, and thank God you went back and looked stuff up from Silver Flames because there was so much crossover from the stories that we learned of in that book that you would have had to have known for this book to even remotely comprehend what was going on. Yeah, I was surprised at the amount that I needed. I had like both, I had both books out. I felt like I was back in college. <laughs> I was like, okay, on this page it says this and over here it says this. And yeah, it, it was a lot. It is a lot of information. If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you. All right. So we are going to head into the drop part of our episode, which is our theories and predictions. Uh, Melina, I'm going to turn this over to you. Yeah. So I had a couple thoughts on this one. And again, like we talked about, there was so much information in these chapters. But I think a big, one of my big theories in that I want to keep kind of the overarching theme here is like how and where does um, Ariadne fit into this whole puzzle, right? She's sort of here. She's sort of not. She was going to fight Ethan. Now she's gone. She, like the Viper Queen says, she's like, she's with a new master now. Um, I just feel like she's a dragon shifter. For me, that feels like a really big thing. And we just don't, we really don't get much from her at all now. Yeah, because she's the only dragon shifter that we know of, right? I mean, we don't Correct. have any others. And so there has to be a significance to that. Again, I think even back into Akatar and Silver Flames, I don't remember there really being any tie-ins to dragons in those books. Um, so this is something like completely unique to, right. to Crescent City. There has to be a reason that she is here. I mean, they Sarah doesn't just throw in characters for no reason. Right, right. And we haven't seen, she hasn't had her big moment yet. So I'm waiting to see what what comes of that for sure. Um, and I would think too, like at some point, she's just going to go like, ape shit on people. I mean, she's a dragon shifter for crying out loud. Like, I mean, couldn't she just shift and burn all these people to a crisp that have been imprisoning her for all these years? I, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm hoping so, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, fe yeah, I guess underwhelming would be yeah. 
her character performance so far has been, I guess I would say. Um, Agreed. That's really interesting. My other one that I was thinking of too. So I feel like Sarah often has, and I, I think this is really cool. She uses art to tell us a lot. And I think I've mentioned this before of telling stories I mean, oh my word, like to your point about like we're in the tunnels for 8,000 years. <laughs> yes. Wow, we're still in the secret tunnel. Wow, we're in the tunnels. Uh, the carvings are talked about pretty constantly. Mm-hmm. So I just was really interested and I know it sort of they lead us into this chamber, right? Where the star was on the floor and the harp was and now Celine's hologram with the history lesson and all of that. Uh, But I just didn't know with the amount that those were brought up, like, is that, is that going to reveal a story, some kind of grand story? Or is it like, is there like a plan in this? Like somebody, this was how it went and this is what you should do next. Or I'm just going to be, I'm going to be interested to see if that, if that comes up farther down the line and what the implications of all of these carvings are. Yeah, because I mean, Sarah uses them in all of her, not necessarily these carvings, but in Throne of Glass, you know, we have the word marks. And then in Akatar and now Crescent City, we have, you know, I guess we're just calling them carvings or runes. Um, so yeah, it's definitely her way of telling stories within stories. But then to your point too, of where really is this leading? I mean, we have this whole history of, Celine and Thea and you know Peleus and and how like the High Fae started in this whole thing, but yet we don't really have the resolution to that at this point. Right. I think the the missing a definitive resolution to that is an interesting is an interesting point that we haven't seen yet too. Yeah, I was just gonna say the the only complaint I have about I mean yes we were in the tunnels for to quote you 8,000 years, which is really what it felt like <laughs> uh, as a reader. But I also thought that it would have been helpful as a reader. Again, there's no way to get around the info dumping to tell this story unless you just shorten the story. But I thought it would have been more helpful if we had just stayed in Bryce's point of view for the whole story, like rather than jumping back and forth. Mm -hmm. I mean, we stayed in it a good bit, but there was still those jumps that I think made it hard for me at least to kind of stay in it and stay focused on trying to figure out all these different players and how they all come together and relate to each other. And it was, I think it would have worked better for the reader to just keep the POV on Bryce the whole time in this section. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I, I do agree with you. And I hadn't thought about that before, but as you were talking, I was feeling like, and I remember sitting on my couch one night late, obviously trying to speed read through this baby. <laughs> it really, this book overall, more so than I think any other book of Sarah's that I have read before really had uh, sort of a, and again, I don't, I'm a Marvel girly, so I that tends to be what I drift to when I'm making comparisons. But it was giving Marvel energy of we have to make sure that there's enough exciting things happening to keep you hooked. 
And I Mm. don't, I think one of the strengths of Sarah's storytelling is you don't need to do that. Um, Give us the whole history lesson. Give us, give us that background. And then we can build from there. It's okay to have some of the, and again, I think I, I keep going back to that's an intrinsic part of fantasy story building, like true fantasy story building. And I think as we get more and more readers to fantasy and the romanticy genre, genre that we have, um, getting some of that, this like straddles the line between like the true fantasy and the romanticy. But I think that that storytelling, that narrative is really important if you're going to do super plot heavy stories like this one. So yeah, it felt like we had to do, like we had to put the Viper Queen in here. We had to throw a couple of like shock value when really like, give us, give us the history lesson. We know it's going to be kind of hefty and then we can go from there. Yeah. Uh, And I think a lot of people that I've seen online, you know, obviously a complaint of this book is that it is so long and that it could have been edited down. And I do agree with that. I mean, I think that we've talked about it before with the Midgard Midgard worm piece. I don't think that really needed to be there. Like, I think you could have taken that whole piece out and just had us in the tunnels, had us following along these carvings on the wall, telling the story, and that would have been plenty. That would have been enough, you know? And then we could have jumped back to the more action plot-forward points of the book. And so I I do agree that there just could have been a lot of editing that happened that didn't in this one for me, for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I see that. Yeah, and then I think my other my my final theory that I wanted to bring up in this section is and I think we've referenced this a lot with the amount that I had to go back to Silver Flames just to try to summarize these couple of chapters. In Silver Flames, Amran pushes Rise about being High King, um, which we like felt like a big deal, and then we sort of like got lured away by the smut and the and well, the blood right and the Pharaoh and Nyx and all of that. But that feels hefty, right? So Amran's pushing Rise about being High King. Nesta made capital M made weapons that Mm -hmm. is big 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 that is not something that happens and then in these flashbacks right we like made weapons are a huge deal only the daglin slash steri have done that theon was the first and only high king they said that like six times so like where is sarah going with this it feels like there's Rise and Nesta and everybody. Like, Akatar is the separate, Prithian's a separate world. Mm-hmm. And all of that happened in the past in Prithian. But we have this other piece with Bryce and Midgard, which it feels like a third piece, but it's like a parallel piece. I don't know. I'm getting excited. Yeah. This feels <laughs> like we're seriously building to something here. And we said to ourselves before we started filming, Melina was saying as she was researching this episode for our outlines that, you know, that meme where (laughs) the guy has the cork board and he's got 10,000 pins going all different directions with his thread and this points to that and this points to that. And we're just like, 
yeah, that's how we felt. <laughs> the, the amount of time it took me to put this outline together, I felt like that absolute manic, like, like there's 85 <laughs> things and I'm surprised I don't have like, you know, like pencils in my hair and all, all of that. <laughs> yeah, so our Patreon subscribers, we hope you appreciate this one because it did take a very long time, but we were very thorough. If nothing else, we always are. So yeah, those are our predictions and theories for this section. And we'll move into our ascent, which we get into some more of like the characters, uh, canon, and then anything else that we wanted to point out in this section. So chapter 15, we hear, I think the word eight pointed star about 90 times, you know, in this chapter. So it definitely, like you said in the outline, is getting some very serious publicity. And obviously there's a reason for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, and again, we went back to like Bryce and Nessa talking. There was some, you know, we did a lot of some bonding, but right. The amount of times that this eight pointed star is coming up with, you know, it being on Bryce's chest um, with Nesta's tattoo. It's on the floor of the chamber of the prison. It was on the massive metal door that they came to. That just to me of there's, it's it was brought up a lot in chapter 15 and we're just seeing it build as we go. So I think that's a really interesting point to to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, Lydia basically telling Rune not to underestimate Bryce, you know, because Rune is at this point thinking like, uh, she's basically RIP. She never made it to hell. Who knows where she's at? Um, but Lydia trying to reassure him that she's stronger than he might give her credit for. And, but obviously not knowing if she really is or not, but just trying to comfort him, especially since he's in this horrible situation to begin with i think it's still showing her trying to make amends with him for what she's done uh you know it's it's not working yet but i'm still holding out hope that these two will kiss and make up hopefully heavy on the kissing <laughs> you, you are absolutely you are like alone torch bearer here like that is what you are headed for Um, Yes. I mean, you and I had talked about we wanted to include this because the second half of chapter 15, like this conversation, quote unquote, didn't go great with like Lydia and Rune being such an important piece of of communication with the two of them. But I loved the fact that Lydia was like, don't underestimate Bryce. I thought that was a really cool, like, it's. Instead of her, because she's not, she doesn't remind me of a comforting character, right? But this is her way of, instead of it being not disingenuous, but comforting sometimes can come off that way. She's, Mm -hmm. this is her, this is the most genuine way I see her of being like, don't underestimate her. That woman is a badass. And I love that it's coming from Lydia, who's a badass. She knows. So I think it was that cool. Like I know Rune loves Bryce, but I loved that this was a moment of we have our yet another strong female character saying, nope, let's pick your head up a little bit. Remember this about your sister. She's got it. Like, let's yeah. keep this going. So I I did love that between the two of them. But yeah, we'll we'll take 
we'll take some kissing scenes too. <laughs> Please, dear God, soon. Got <laughs> a funny, uh, yeah, take chapter 16. I, this was, we talked about this a little bit for 16 with Nesta, like, dangling Bryce's phone in front of her as, like, a reward. First of all, <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. It, that felt kind of funny to me of, Nesta's like, oh, you mean that this is valuable? <laughs> But then it was another, like, boomer moment of Nesta being like, you have to teach me how this works, which I loved. I loved that entire, that cracked me up. Like, with her put, she's like, you can have a thousand songs on that. (laughs) And Bryce is like, yeah, but then her saying too, well, I don't know how that works. Mm, I don't know how that works. I, right. I was like, this is, again, so relatable. I have a phone. I have no idea how my phone works. I get the concept of like telephone wires. Is that even a thing anymore? Never mind. I'm not going to bring this up. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Telephones work. <laughs> Listen, any of our listeners, if, if you want to teach me, you certainly can. You're like, right, how Same place I- that memes come from. Yeah. <laughs> Cell exactly. phones work. Like, how, do, how does my phone play music? How does it have. 3,000 songs on it. I don't know. Don't ask me those questions. So that's, I just loved, like, what a pure moment of two people from thousands and thousands and thousands of years apart attempting to bond over a piece of technology that one is not going to get. And I just, I thought this was such a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. It goes around every generation, I guess, because we... Obviously, like, our parents are, like, not very technologically inclined, but then I feel like on something, the stupid Instagram account thing that, you know, Melina and I have been going back and forth on, I'm like, I'm literally going to try to text my eight-year-old niece, and I'm pretty sure she'll figure it out for us in, like, five seconds. So, just, yeah. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. Any like it's the TikTok stuff. I'm I'm old. I once referred to one you're of my, old. <laughs> past. I'm at 31 now. So like a month God. ago, almost. Oh no, it was a month ago. So I just I was talking to one of my friends who's who's Gen Z, and I accidentally one time said the Snapchat instead of the, she. <laughs> This was like eight years ago. She's brought it up to me like every uh, since then, which is fair. But that just, rev- you know what that reminds me of, though. You know what I'm going to say oh, with yeah. my husband and the YouTube. The YouTube. <laughs> which God love him. My husband, I love him to death, but he does not have the YouTube app. He doesn't really have any apps. Like he just uses. He also uses Safari as his browser, uh, you know, to go to YouTube.com to play videos through his browser. And so that's like this running joke in our family because he's like, I'm going to go find it on the YouTube. So The first time he showed me that, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I love that. I, and that's so him. That's so It is. I yeah, love yeah. And then while we're in while we're in the nerd topic, I had to I had to bring the mechanics of this door, the star door. Yeah, open. that was what? cool. 
That was so cool. It was, okay, hold on. I have to go back. Something about the spikes were expanding and contracting like it was breathing. Yeah. The only thing I thought was my mind went to like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with the door that had the snakes, you know, where the snakes were kind of mechanically clicking into place. But this was even cooler because... Yeah, to the comment of like it was breathing, it to me in my mind was more 3D. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. I, my thing with that was I felt like this felt like an example of tech that would have been organic and tech kind of meshing. So it talks mm-hmm. about how the spikes of the star begin to expand and contract as if it were breathing, but then metal clicked behind it. Gears were shifting, locks were opening. So it's that cool, like tech organic magic kind of coming together. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know if it's important. I just really <laughs> loved it. And I had to bring it up. <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like how did they create it? You know, that many thousands and thousands of years ago, that just kind of blew my mind. I was like, Wow. No, they don't have technology, but like they can create this living, breathing door, so to speak, like lock system. Like that was just really cool. Right. But I think that also speaks to that feels like a bit of a hint as to what's coming, right? So Mm -hmm. that's obviously not a Prithian level technology. And neither is the hologram that Celine is. So that's obviously they must have brought that from Midgard, I guess, wherever they were. Although yeah. it would have been thousands of years ago in Midgard, too. Okay. I don't know. Time sometimes. I, yeah. <laughs> it's like the quantum leap. I don't know. Oh. It's just. <laughs> it's really like very basic time travel movie stuff. And then, then yeah. I'm like, okay, now we're getting past what I can comprehend and I'm done. Yeah. So then we move into chapter 17, where we talked a little bit about her before with Ariadne now going to a new employer. And again, this is a dragon shifter. So. I guess I'm just wondering, like, when is she going to actually say, I'm sick of this shit. I'm not going to be somebody's slave anymore. It's time for me to shift. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand. I guess because I hate being told what to do. And it's like, just do something, girl. You are a freaking dragon. Like, just do something. She's been trapped in that ring for so long. I guess it would take a while to get or even find like find a purpose of like what are you even doing next? But mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I mean, you and I are very similar in that. I'm not getting out and then finding somebody who's going to tell me what to do again. What? Yeah, no. I don't know. That, <laughs> no. I need her to do something. Yeah, that's yeah. That whole thing needs to figure itself out. Yeah, we did. We already brought this up, but. Bryce tricking as getting past the wards. Hilarious. That was great. Hilarious. I loved that so much. Yeah. So much. It makes us seem so relatable because we think of these Illyrians as like these big, tough, macho, but like, and then just to be tricked by, like, it feels like, you know, when my niece pokes me on my shoulder, on the other shoulder, and then I look the other way. And so that's, yes. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Yeah. And then I did want to bring up too, I mean, this was in our summary, when Bryce is looking at the Midgard constellations, some of them I didn't recognize the names of. And I always love the people online who are like, have a degree in 
Greek and Roman. I don't know any of that. My education yeah. that, and I'm still annoyed about it. So some of the names I didn't hear of, but then like Odin, Lakos, Thur, Faria, Thur. like <laughs> we know those. Yeah. So that obviously was giving Thor, and then right, like I remember reading House of Earth and Blood for the first time and being like Midgard. That's mm-hmm. what Thor calls Earth in yeah. Thor, in the Avengers yeah. movies. So I just loved, and you have a special connection with Odin and Thor, and I just, I just loved all of that. Yeah. So. so most of my dogs have been named after Norse mythology because I just love it. And uh, I did have an Odin, but he's sadly not with us anymore. But now I have a Thor. Uh, still trying to convince my husband to get a third dog so I can have a Freya. So that's going well, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was an interesting little side side piece of information there that I wanted to include. And I thought it was um, important that Bryce notes that the star, the eight-pointed star, is located where Midgard would be in between Thur and Lakos of the planet. Yeah. So that was important again it might this might be an iron metal door (laughs) fiasco but i like to include these details so they will they will be important i feel like it i i feel like you're gonna have a redemption arc here with your metal door (laughs) (laughs) then in chapter 18 then you know we talk about the characters in the crystal palace rune and baxian and rune's hand like oh yeah that was oh yeah (laughs) that was so much that was so much and we haven't yeah it just like fades to black like we it's yeah oh my gosh we don't have to talk too much about it but like oh boy Oh boy. Yeah, that was the that was the only way that she could think of to get them out of the situation. I don't know. I can't believe. Yeah, Rune's like, you know what the best plan would be? Bite <laughs> off my hand. Like, <laughs> oh boy. I think that's mm-hmm. another sign of earlier in chapters. I remember you doing the summary of when he's on that like mental raft of pain. Yeah, it's just total desperation. Yeah, it's just another. It's just another notch on that. So, yeah. And in addition to even more bad news, we're fixing the harpy that Bryce murdered in Sky and Breath. That feels super concerning. I, yeah, we talked about this before in a previous episode where you mentioned like the healing properties of these Fae as opposed to those on Prithian. And I personally hate the reincarnation trope. And I'm not saying that that's going to be what happens to the harpy in the sense of she's going to be exactly as she was sort of thing, because I don't know. But I just don't like when you totally take death off the table, because then the stakes just don't seem nearly as high, and I'm not as invested in it. So to bring her back, I don't know. To me, reincarnation, and I hate to say this, but it always just feels like a cop-out to me when authors do it. And I hate to say that because I absolutely love SJM, but you know, I am allowed to disagree with things that she does. So 
to me, it's just a cop out when authors do the reincarnation trope and that, and I don't like it. So come at me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't know what this does. Yeah. And we've had other members of the Triari, like, be killed. I don't know what this is doing for us exactly. I think that's... Yeah. Other than the Harpy Knows Lydia's secret. But now, so do, like, 85 other people. So I don't feel like that holds any water necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to see... Or will be interesting to see how Sarah does this, but I just inherently do not like that trope at all. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> my favorite. So chapter 18, we got even, we got more history lessons. I did want to make sure that we pointed out that as says that Celine looks like Rise's sister, which I thought was a wild, we only get that like one little line, but I thought that was mm-hmm. a wild thing to toss in there. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, like I'm still trying in my head to like put this kind of family tree together, yeah. you know, because I can't really follow like from Thea to Helena and Celine. And then where do we go from there as far as like how Reese and Bryce are related? I'm still trying to wrap my brain around all of that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you mean because of the starborn, like the... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, with Bryson. But yeah, I mean, because we really only get that one line and then Breeze never talks. Nobody talks about her. So it's very... Yeah, and they, I mean, her from Bryce's perspective, Celine's name was lost to history. So that's wild. We need to know how that happened. And additionally, in this history lesson... I thought we had to mention, too, that the tithe that we know from Spring Court mm-hmm. started with the Daglin. Yeah, that I blew was, my mind. <laughs> I, seriously, I was sitting up and I was like, oh, what? Well, I guess we don't, I don't know if we know for certain that Spring Court is the only court that does the tithe. But True. then she talks a little bit later about the kernels of power being offered up. Excuse me. Where have we heard that before? That to me spoke of like when the high Lords each gave a kernel of their powers to Freya Mm -hmm. and then to rise again at the end of wings and ruin. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, wait, wait, (laughs) like what is happening here? This feels like, I do feel like sometimes this book, it didn't always feel like a Sarah vibe. That was a Sarah vibe. I yeah, was for like, sure. Fully Sarah on board with this. Where are we going? Where are we, where are we going with this? What's this leading to? So yeah. I have to bring that up. I loved that. Yeah. No, I love that you did because it does, it does tie everything together, which obviously she does remarkably well with all of her series. And yeah, we just... We're really excited to see kind of what happens with that. And then in chapter 19, uh, Melina's note, Pollux deserves every single bad thing in life. (laughs) So we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Period. Right. There's not much else to say. Like every single bad thing. I hope your pillow is hot. (laughs) Never have any creamer for your coffee. You step on Legos when you get out of bed. (laughs) Exactly. None of them. I hope your windshield is always dirty. 
<laughs> yes, love it. Karma's a bitch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, the main reason that the Asteri and the slash Daglin didn't use the Dread Trove more, like because they argued over who should control it. I mean that that tracks for them, but it does. But Celine was like, yeah, and thankfully they didn't use the Dread Trove as much because they couldn't decide who should have it. <laughs> what? That was the reason? Are you are you so serious right now? I was like, they're like a bunch of toddlers, but this is the Dread Trove and we're talking about worlds. Absolutely wild. So, you know, here we are moving on. Back when I was doing all of my Silver Flames research here, I thought it was really interesting that we were talking about like all the caves and the archways being kind of portals. And then in the memory, Thea, it talks about Thea using the archways to travel through the lands swiftly or whatever. Love that for her. And then she ends up on top of the, of Ramiel and I remembered getting to the top of Ramiel during the blood rite not only makes you the highest elite warrior, but it transports you out of the blood rite immediately. And I was like, yeah. oh, interesting. I wonder if the there's like a cave archway deal on Ramiel. But then I was also, I wanted to put this in here anyway, because I thought it was cool. I wasn't sure either. If it's the Illyrians only get their magic or whatever during the blood rite. So I didn't know if that had something to do. Again, yeah. it's this theme of it could be an iron door that's simply just metal in Melina's brain. But <laughs> I thought that was an interesting, you know, of all the places for Thea to end up, it's on top right. of the sacred mountain of the Illyrians. And then the memory pans to the cauldron then is at the base of it. And she's there with Fionn. And so I felt like we had to call that out. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, because you just really like, we've seen this in the other series from Sarah, the most vague tidbits, like end up coming back and being like super big reveals or really important to the, the storyline. And so, yeah, it's never a bad thing to add in those details for sure. And then finding out the prison used to be a royal territory. That was shocking to me. That was wild. And I think we're only getting started with the information on that one. I was even, I think even in Mist and Fury, he doesn't even really know that. And Rise knows everything. So he doesn't yeah. even really know all there is to know about the prison and the history of it's kind of shady and all of that. So I love that we're going to be, we're definitely going to be getting more. Do you think like, does the bone carver even know all of it? Going back to Mist and Fury, does he, mm. I mean, because obviously he's been in there was in there like a long time you know would he have known the whole history of it i don't know i i thought about him when i when we were reading this part and i was like would he have known that history that celine you know that's a great question i think as i was going back through it said something about amarin when in the prison i'll have to double check this I think while the Daglin were still ruling. Okay. 
Uh, I think it's that because she knows of them. Right. So, yeah. Was the bone carver in there before her? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, And then if it was a royal territory, then would they have been, they couldn't have been in, you know? Maybe this, maybe this should have been in our theories section because I don't know. We'll have to see how it stands out. I'm just muddying the waters over here. Don't oh, mind me. <laughs> it's a good question. I think, uh, yeah, that timeline we'll have to double check because if Thea makes that, you know, and the, the island responds to her powers. So interesting. We'll have to see how that works. Uh, and then I was really excited about your last point with we finally figure out some information if not all of it, just some of it about the dusk court and what happened to that. So that was real. I was like, oh, thank the Lord. Like we finally get some info. <laughs> yeah. And I've been feeling, oh my gosh, like the dusk, dusk's truth, what Danica was looking for. Like what that came up, I think the beginning of sky and breath. I thought it was earth and blood. E- yeah. Cause of Sophie. Yeah. So I thought it was a lot longer, but I felt like this on top of all the other super secret confusing plot lines we had, I f- this felt good to finally have like, hey, I know that word. That looks yeah. good. Like, is this all of Dusk's truth? We don't know. Because Dusk was the name of the room that Bryce went into in the Crystal Palace. Um, yeah. The end of Sky and Breath, when she's looking for information because that room, Sophie carving her arm and all of that. And then I forgot this too. Regalus tells Bryce that her bloodline specifically hails from, quote, a small isle a few miles from the mainland. And while the mainland had all manner of climbs, the isle existed in beautiful near permanent twilight. I could not have told you that. I couldn't have either. I went and looked it up. (laughs) And then he continues to reveal that there are two breeds of fae and shifters are the other one than from Bryce. That's really interesting. Oh my gosh. Okay. Regalus is out here spilling the beans on things too. Yeah. Beans. Thank you for bringing up beans again in this. (laughs) I love that triggered you so quickly. You're like, beans. I'm so excited about it. Okay, that. moving on. <laughs> we haven't gotten any more bean content in these no. chapters. So. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. Uh, but, um, and then, yeah, the last part, just about Selene as, as a character. She was hinted at in Silver Flames, but we figure out who she is now in this. But then her entire history dissertation was it hearkened back to house of earth and blood in those first couple chapters where it was like huge info dump just trying to figure out what this world is about who veneer are who all of that i was like oh okay we can do this we can get through this (laughs) yeah yeah this was a lot um oh and I'm so sorry I also have to say this out loud I feel like I'm really showing my true colors in this episode the hologram is giving princess Leia that is literally about when she gives r2d2 the like yes hologram and she's like Obi-Wan you're my only hope like anytime you want to throw star wars in here I am 
here for it. Because <laughs> you understand my references now. I'm so I do. <laughs> Yes, I'm firmly a total Anakin Skywalker fangirl, so I am firmly on the dark side. <laughs> I love that. What I mean, truly, what else could be? Uh, but no, I that's a that's a good point. Get in there again, like the hologram. I was just picturing her as Princess Leia, um, Carrie Fisher, our queen for all yes. forever. Uh, that's not helpful because I don't think that's how she looks like. Brain, <laughs> so. Speaking of that, fun fact, Melina has a Leia Eras shirt, and I have an Anakin Eras shirt, so we're just cool like that. <laughs> cool. Cool being the operative. <laughs> hey, I think we are, so that's all that matters. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks for hanging with us with that one. I know yes. that was a long one with a lot of history, but... We find it interesting because we finally like are starting to see these pieces come together from even other series of Sarah's. And so for us, we just, we nerd out about it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, if you made it to the end, gold star for you. <laughs> yeah. No we pun intended. To go in for this one. <laughs> yes. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a cliff notes version of the history of Midgard and the Daglin and we will continue on with that history in the next episode so we can't wait to see you then first off thank you for listening you and the bookish community are amazing and we're so thankful to be included in it we hope you enjoyed the episode if you haven't done so already make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss one. We release new episodes every Tuesday. We'd also love to see you on our Romanticy Fangirls newsletter list. Just head to our website, romanticyfangirls.com and enter your email address where it says join the email list. No spam here, promise. Just more honest to goodness book content. Learn what we're currently reading, upcoming new releases we can't wait to get our hands on, and what Melina says about my unhealthy obsession with Aldi's cold brew coffee foam. Seriously though, if you haven't tried it yet, are you even living? Sign up today.